Podcast is back. I believe we're up to like episode 34, I believe. Uh, I'll have to check on that. I'm, I'm, I usually check it right before we record. Today, not so much. Uh, it's <laughs> been a crazy busy day. Uh, but, Andrew Harrison, uh, you're joining me. I'm Michael Citro, from, uh, Managing Editor of the Mainland, joined by Andrew Harrison, as usual. And Andrew wanted to talk about a fantastic win over New York City FC, fifth consecutive win for the Lions, uh, what are your what are your overall takeaways from the game? Um, where was this team, you know, two months ago? I think that was my <laughs> first takeaway. Um, second of all, I thought it was a really good performance um, by Orlando against New York City, but I was actually just more disappointed in New York City too. I, that was my takeaway from how far we have come so far as an expansion franchise, and I feel like they are just stuck in second gear. They have put a lot of money into getting big names that just haven't been there. Whereas we have had our big guys sit some of the games out. We've had Kakar away on international duty. We've had Brekshay injured. And we have managed to prosper with those young guys. And we saw it again that on Friday. We saw Corey Ash play a position he hasn't played before and play a great performance. We saw guys come back in and just look like they've been playing the game for 10, 15 years. Um, I think that it was just it was just a great performance. I was really sad. when I couldn't believe we went down 1-0 before halftime. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was a kick in the gut. But that we were able to come back once again showed the tenacity that we have developed as a franchise. Um, and I'm excited heading into next year to see these young guys um, become even better. And Laren is hopefully going to not be struck by the rookie curse. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Uh, a win, by the way, 2-1, to one, without Kaká, without Breck Shea, without Rafael Ramos. Uh, so the guys really rallied around some of their fallen leaders and, uh, and suspended leaders and and got the job done. Yep. I wanted to ask you this, because the game kind of uh, was affected uh, a great deal, in my opinion, by two end line calls that both went against the home team. Uh, and I know you've had a chance to see them uh, at the game and maybe also on replay. And, of course, one was the ball looked to go out prior to the corner kick that gave New York City the lead in, at the end of the first half. And the other was the goal where uh, it was a goal, in my opinion, and um, Jefferson Mana sat on the ball and they couldn't see that it was over the line. And so they decided, uh, yeah, just play on and, and just go go with that. What were your uh what are, what are your views of those two incidents? Um, luckily for me, they both happened at my end of the field, um, so I at least have some sort of eyeball on it. Um, I definitely thought the uh, ball for the corner kick was out. Um, I shouted as much in the stands. Um, you know, that's unfortunately on that one. I think it's just the way the cookie crumbles. We mm-hmm. we have a linesman who is way too far away, but we're not going to start seeing two linesmen on either side of the pitch. So it's just something that you have to live with as a soccer fan. Um, I would say that I think what we will potentially start to see as this league grows is in relation to the Jefferson Mina um, sitting on the ball and putting it in the back of the net. Um, I think we'll start to see goal line referees um, actually eyeballing it and making it so that those goals kind of stand because Lyron goes to 18, he gets a hat trick and we feel a lot more comfortable. It was, it was a stone cold goal and the replay Mm -hmm. showed it. Um, I think, you know, we, we can say it's an MLS decision, but we still have to realize that 
we still won the game, so let's not be too right. bitter about it because we still won. We still got three points. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice if we had got that extra goal going into this weekend, but, you know, you can't cry over spilt milk. Right, and let's talk about that for a minute. We've got a slim, slim, I think uh, half a percent chance, I think is what Daniel McGann said in his statistical breakdown hey. of, of, <laughs> of getting into the getting into the playoffs. What Orlando City needs is an eight-goal swing and, and goal differential. Obviously, need New, uh, New England to lose to New York City FC at Yankee Stadium. Need Orlando City to win, and there has to be a swing of eight goals and goal differential. Now, with both of those line calls, had they been called over the line, that would be down to six. And that is a much more realistic number, even though it's still pretty difficult to come by in a, in a combination of those two games. It's still a lot more realistic than eight. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. if you go down through all the MLS games this year, how many teams have scored four? How many times uh, has, has a team scored three? Way more times for three. And uh, so, I mean, those could potentially be devastating calls. Uh, in the end, uh, you know, we we certainly hope that, you know, things work out for us, but we're not, like, holding our breath on this. Um, you know, we'll get to our man in the match, too, in a minute. I thought, too, Orlando was pressing four goals a little bit because it looked like in the first half there were opportunities there to certainly jump on top of New York City. And Kyle Lahren, I had one shot that went out for a throw-in and another shot from pretty point-blank range that he skied. And then Lewis Neal had his typical, here's a sitter, Adrian Venter's just <laughs> serving it up on a platter. you got to miss the net now uh, from, six, from the top of the six-yard box. So, you know, maybe the team pressing for goals there? I think they knew what they had to do. I mean, they know what they got to do this week, but they were trying to really put one up on NYCFC. And I think they had that opportunity. New York played so poorly in the first half and really all game. And they never really looked in it. Um, We saw an opportunity there and I think we just weren't able to pull it off. You know, could we say it was some calls? Yeah, but we could go back to coulda, woulda, shoulda throughout the season, you know. If we don't concede two late free kicks, we don't lose against Vancouver and we don't lose against D.C. That's two points. We're a lot closer. Um, Mm -hmm. There's always going to be those opportunities. And, you know, Laren was probably trying to make up for it. He had all the confidence in the world. I mean, you got to you just got to hit him when you're that hot. Um, And I don't begrudge him for that. I thought that if we can play like that against Philadelphia, we have a chance. But I think the problem is we have to rely on NYCFC beating New England healthily. And based on last week's performance, I can't see NYCFC being able to do that. Uh, I don't think so either. And they had won three in a row, but now they've lost two in a row and they haven't looked good doing it. Uh, The one thing that's good for them is they're at Yankee Stadium where – they're used to the small pitch and the tight, tight uh, situation there, and visiting teams are not. I think it's a really a tremendous home field advantage for them there. It'll be a big crowd uh, for the final game of the season. Um, I, I don't really know. I mean, we can't really expect them. I mean, we scored zero goals last time Philadelphia came in, so there's, there's virtually yeah. no reason to be optimistic. You can put up a four or five spot on them, even though they – they didn't play very well against uh, Red Bulls last week, but it's Red Bulls, you know, mm, yeah. um, not us. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Orlando City holds up their end of it. I really wouldn't because this team is, is just really seems to be locked in right now. 
And you know Kaká and Breck Shea are going to want to make some things happen uh, coming back from a suspension, you know, playing their last game of the season potentially and and in all probability. So, you know, we're just going to see. It's it's We're going to stay optimistic. We're going to see if we can defy some serious expectations <laughs> this weekend. And reality. Uh, yeah, and and some some major odds against us. But like Han Solo says, there's another Star Wars movie coming out soon. Never tell me the odds. Um, and, uh, you know, I think really what we want to do is just go out on a, on a winning note, get to 47 points. If we win, that's uh, going to tie Seattle for the best uh, points mark. And I believe it might be the most wins for an expansion team uh, at 13. It would be a 500 record, so it wouldn't be a losing record. And uh, I think all of those are positives that can really propel the team into next season. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, we – I would say we probably even defied expectations if we don't make the playoffs. I mean, we're better than New York City, which is really where we wanted to be at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. We've had some solid performances. But realistically, when you put in everything that has happened to us this season, we have definitely defied expectations. We lost one of the great players early on in the season in Kevin Molino, and we kept on going. We lost Breck Shea, who was really our great outlet for those first couple of months, to two months' worth of injury. We lost our goal scorer to international duty, as well as some other great players. I would still say that we have certainly defied expectations because there's a lot of people and a lot of teams that when they lose those pieces, we we could have been where Chicago was, but we weren't. Mm -hmm. And we have actually managed to hold our heads high and come out of this. And if we can end with a six-game winning streak... I, you know, tie that record for Montreal's expansion season. That would be just another feather in our cap for this season, I think. That would be pretty amazing. And it's great to finish ahead of New York City, considering they went out and got a Pirlo and bought a Lampard and a mixed Discarude. And, and Orlando invested in future, you know, prospects like Brian Rochez and Carlos Rivas. And Rivas has really come on of late. And that's a good segue for me because it's time for our man of the match for New York City, and I'm, I'm on the record as saying I thought Rivas had a fantastic game. I thought several players played very well in that game, but I thought, for me, Carlos Rivas could have had about four assists in that game. So he, for me, was the man of the match, terrorizing. Uh, I mean, Orlando City just dominated the flanks. I wrote about this, uh, yeah. I think, last week. And and uh, whether it was uh, Vinter and Ash on the right side or, or Bowden and, and Rivas on the left side just absolutely owned those channels and New York City's back line had no answer, and especially for Carlos Rivas with his pace. And I, I thought, for me, he was my man of the match. I Yeah, I'm pretty much with you. I just switched flanks. Um, I thought Adrian Vinter was great, and he actually had the numbers to show for it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he probably, Lewis Neal should have got off the mark um, with that pass. He passed to Laren to get him his goal. Um, he was just... I think while Rivas was terrorizing the other side, Vinta was calmly just breaking down the other side when he got the ball. Um, mm-hmm. And he just looked, they couldn't, they didn't know how to handle him. And that, for me, when you come in and you've had a few games out and you've got somebody behind you that doesn't usually play that position, um, and Vinta's been in that kind of place before too. I mean, he kept playing right back when people get kept getting sent off. Um, yeah. So he's kind of been used to that right side, and then he knew he had to track back and cover Ash, but he was all over the park, and he really got, I think he got what he deserved by getting an assist, um, mm-hmm. and he was just my player of the game. And Venter did one other thing that I, I thought was uh, very 
like a veteran savvy move is he he has picked up Adrian Heath's system very quickly, mm-hmm. and he looked to me like he was very good at tucking in and giving Corey Ash lots and lots of room in that outside channel. Uh, whereas Carlos Rivas on the other side wasn't doing that for Luke Bowden, but at the same time they were playing a lot of long balls and letting Carlos run onto them so that he didn't really have those same opportunities. But I really liked the way Venter tucked in and, and allowed Ash to have just acres and acres on that right side. Yeah, and, and I think when Venter tucks in too, you feel less that Kakar is missing too because he's able to support Neil that little bit better and allow Neil mm-hmm. to go forward. Even though Neil's not converting anything, I think just being able to push in and kind of solidify that midfield and ease the pressure from Hagida and Saren if they need to, um, that's also another benefit for him too. Absolutely. So five wins in a row. Um, nice to have a win over New York City. And, uh, you know, the way that they the team played in the opening game and only got a draw out of it and were kind of fortunate to get even a point out of it, uh, it, it sort of um, almost makes up for that. And it was an, a, a huge crowd. Yeah. So uh, more than 40,000 came out to to see the the final home game in the Citrus Bowl. Um, This week, big announcement for Orlando City, uh, an announcement that really didn't surprise anybody. It's been coming for a while, uh, but maybe some of us thought it might be next season and maybe even the season after that start play. But no, the Orlando Pride has joined NWSL, and they will start in 2016. They'll play in the Citrus Bowl, which came as a little bit of a surprise to me. They'll switch over to the new stadium when that gets finished. Um, Andrew, your thoughts on bringing uh, women's soccer to Orlando at this time? Is it too soon or just the right time? Um, I, I think I'm on record about writing it a little while ago that it was too soon. It wasn't the right time to bring NWSL to Orlando. But I think I'm going to once again bow to the Orlando City front office and just every move they make is right right now. If they rumors are true that Alex Morgan is going to be here. Um, We can put together a side that is able to compete in a market that is soccer-hungry on the back of a successful Women's World Cup for the U.S. national team. Um, The fact that we're going into Sunday with over, I think is it over 35,000 tickets sold now for the U.S. women's game against Brazil. I don't think you can get more right of a time to move in to this marketplace um, and show the city that it cares about both genders too. I think that's a great marketing piece um, for Orlando city to not fall behind on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's impressive to me is uh, the last number I saw was 30,000 sold in advance. And that certainly looks like at least 35 by Sunday. Um, what's impressing me is that number was higher than the, than the Seattle uh, presale. Um which yeah. is a much much larger venue and and you know capable of of you know obviously what they've done with the Sounders has been amazing and it's a soccer hotbed so that tells me a lot about Orlando and and how they feel about women's soccer, um, you know and I'll get to Alex Morgan in a minute I, I think it's a, a a coup for this team to go out I thought it would be a great get if they got Tiffany Roberts from UCF to coach the team mm-hmm. for, former uh, 1999 uh, U.S. Women's National Team uh, member and a good coach over at UCF, but they did even better. And they went out and got Tom Sermani, <laughs> uh, former U S women's national team coach and a two-time coach of the Australian women's national team. Obviously a guy who knows about building programs and he knows as much as anybody about talent around the world these days. Yeah. I think, I mean, what a pickup. Nobody saw it coming. 
Um, but first of all, let's go to Tiffany Roberts. I actually think that is a very smart move by the front office. So again, she is going to continue growing a good program over at UCF and is going to have the scouting network to be able to identify talent, um, work in partnership with the academy, I would imagine, to help get some of these kids to college um, for the local area like UCF does for a lot of schools. Um, I think that's a great move by them to leave her where she is so that she can kind of work maybe in harmony with the new franchise. Um, but what a pickup of Samani, too. He knows what he's doing. He's still in the game. He was at the World Cup as a Canadian assistant. Um, he's managed the U.S. and some of these players before. Um, you've got to think that's great news for a franchise just starting to get off the ground, needs to hit, probably have some success soon as they get going, but also to be able to come in and realize that the spotlight's going to be on him too because he's had several national gigs as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's really great. You mentioned the academy, which is a, a really big key point to the Orlando Pride, is that they're starting life as, a, as an NWSL team uh, with a full academy already in place, mm-hmm. which I think I think only Boston uh, may have been the only other team to actually do that. And not every team in the league has its own academy. So, you know, that's a big major step because you're developing the talent and they're going to run the academy the same way that the boys are on the other side. They're going to, to you know, put the same systems into place that the big club is using and the same fundamentals and the same philosophies. And so, you know, you're going to, it's, it's going to be like run like a, like the major European clubs where you go up through the academy system. And by the time you get to the big team, I mean, that's the, the ultimate ambition, getting to the big team. And by that time you're already well versed in everything that they do there. So kudos to everybody involved, the Orlando pride and, and the way that this has come about. You mentioned Alex Morgan, just before we started recording this tonight, uh, Grant Wall for sports illustrated, uh, broke a story that uh, there's a big blockbuster trade being talked about that would bring Alex Morgan from the Portland Thorns to the Orlando Pride uh, in exchange for quite a bit, quite honestly, a couple of international slots, the number one pick in the college draft, uh, the rights to uh, Megan Klingenberg, who was supposed to be uh, left unprotected by Houston Dash and uh, would have subsequently been picked up by Orlando and uh, an allocation player, name escapes me, that uh, may be coming over from PSG. So it's quite a bit that, that Portland would be getting, and they would certainly benefit from this trade. Uh, meanwhile, Orlando would get the most marketable player in women's soccer today, uh, so they would more than make up for any deficiencies in jersey sales <laughs> and uh, and merchandise, and um, and they would and certainly she helps sell tickets as well. So if if Alex Morgan can stay healthy and she reportedly wants to come here and play in the same city as her husband, Servando Carrasco. Um, it, it says a couple of things. Number one, that she sort of, she's been here a lot lately and she's sort of fallen in love with this organization, uh-huh. which is one thing. Uh, Phil Rollins and her have been seen together many, many times over the last several weeks. And um, the other thing it says to me is that Servando Carrasco isn't going anywhere, uh, which makes sense because they brought him in. He's done a, overall a good job. He's still a, a young enough player that he can get better in this league and be a player in this league for a long time. And yeah, we have to accept the possibility that maybe not this off season, but maybe by next off season, Christian Higuita might get snapped up by one of the major European clubs, the way he's playing. Yeah. I I'm right there with you. And I actually, I was, we were, I was talking about it with somebody and I was like, that's, that's what they've done here is they have 
kind of solidified Morgan moving here by making sure that Carrasco is going to be the piece that fits regardless of when Higita or Seren or even potentially both of them leave um, mm-hmm. and then we sell them on and get a probably a big, hopefully a big transfer fee. Um, I think it's a great move um, just across the board. I like that they are giving that. I, I am concerned that they've given up too much um, just because we are a new franchise and look what we did with everything that we had this time around. You know, we were very lucky in the get, we got the first pick um, in mm-hmm. the draft and we won a lot of the uh, draws between ourselves and NYCFC and we managed to turn those into good pieces. Um, mm-hmm. I'm concerned that we are looking at the name and not looking at franchise. I Once again, I don't want to... I'm not trying to say something bad about the front office. I think it's a great move. It makes us competitive. But when you really calculate who we could have as well, um, you know, it leaves me a little nervous, but doesn't. don't get me wrong, I'm still probably going to get Morgan on the back of a jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot of, uh, a lot in play in this uh, deal if it goes as, as, uh, Grant Wall wrote it up. Um, the thing for me is this, I think that Orlando pride is in a good position considering that Kansas city has three very good, uh, us women, the national team players. My understanding is they can only protect two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is going to be Becky Sauerbrunn. They're going to absolutely protect her. She may be the best defender in the entire world right now. Yep. Uh, the other two are Amy Rodriguez and Heather O'Reilly. Either one of them would be fantastic gets for Orlando Pride. Uh, so you got to figure one of them will be available. And if they don't take them, it's because a backdoor deal was made and then something's coming down the pike at some future time uh, that will help the team. But I, I believe... Losing the international slots doesn't bother me because the best players in the world right now are being developed in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still think that there's a good pipeline into Brazil through Orlando City, so I think there's still a, a lot of possibilities to get some of their top players to come as well. So, I, I, you know, given the fact that Tom Sermani's involved, given the fact that Orlando City's involved, I think they've probably put a great deal of thought into this, and that might be like what the maximum of it's like, how much would you pay for this? Now how much <laughs> yeah. would you pay, right? And so they probably went to, okay, here's as much money as we can possibly give you for this. Can we have it? And Portland went, yeah. <laughs> you know, So that's the way it looks. But, you know, the deal's not done yet. It's just still a report at this point, And uh, it would be very exciting. But I think if this happens, it would be – and I said this a couple of days ago. If something happens with Morgan that they can get her, they will want to get her by Sunday – so that they can announce it at the Citrus Bowl when the U.S. Women's National Team is here, I believe. Uh, without a doubt, why would you not want the 35,000 that's potentially going to be there to know that she's going to be playing 10 games in that stadium next year? Um, mm-hmm. That is tickets. That is jerseys. I mean, I'm sure they probably don't have a jersey yet. I would sure if they could sign her by started Sunday, they'd like to probably have some jerseys for sale. Um, but... You just you have to believe that you're right. That there's a lot of that we still don't know about how NWSL potentially works and how what's going on behind the scenes. We saw that 
with the expansion of the men's team. There's probably a lot of things going on that says, you know, you can do this, we can do that. We're all working together to grow this league and make it happen. I mean, the one thing you don't want to do is have a new team in a league that is going into its fourth season for the very first time um, in women's soccer, um, have a team collapse. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to do whatever you can. And if it's helping people grow and some of the players want to be close to their spouses, we've already seen that with Sidney LaRue and Dom Dwyer saying that they want to live and work in the same city. Expect things like this to happen in the future, not just with players like Morgan, but you know, more is going to come down the pipeline as the se- as the off season progresses. Yeah, and one uh, thing is that I should mention the expansion draft is November second, and so we should get you know more clarification. They're expected to use the same rules that the Houston Dash used a couple years ago, uh, and if that's the case, it would be two. You could protect up to two U.S. Women's National Team members, and not not so the teams that have more than two, you know, they're going to have to expose somebody that's pretty good. Um, and then, you know, there's allocation players that who knows where they're going. There's a rumor that Ashlyn Harris will come here because she's from here, and that would be a good allocation selection by the NWSL. Um, she's been here a lot. Mm-hmm. She's been hang, hanging out with Alex Morgan a lot. Uh, Allie Krieger's been hanging out with Alex Morgan here. We saw the uh, the, the two of them together at the game on uh, on Friday night. And, um, you know, it's it's – it's not out of the realm of possibility that this team could pull off some pretty cool moves uh, and and put together you know quite a team on the first year. What what worries me a little bit is Alex Morgan on the Citrus Bowl turf for a year. Yeah, we know she has knee injuries and or she's had a history of knee injuries. It does make me a little nervous too, um, but I don't think you know. I think once again the city, the club is saying we just got to do it now. We'll figure it out. We don't hopefully have too long. She doesn't have to play too many games on it, hopefully. We can get the new stadium going, move them over as quickly as possible, make it happen. I think you just you have to grab it whilst it's available um, because next season she might not be. Right. So, um, you know, Orlando Pride, I'm excited. You're excited. I think uh, Orlando seems to be excited. Uh, it was a great turnout for the press conference, and I, I saw a few of the – Orlando Pride T-shirts at the uh, documentary uh, premiere tonight downtown. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't have one yet, so I'm a little bummed. Um, somebody's got to hook me up with some swag. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but now why don't we turn our attention to some guests? We'll get to some guests, and we'll come back in a little bit, and we'll talk about our uh, key matchups and our score predictions for Sunday against Philadelphia Union. Okay, well, the end of the USL season means that uh, our affiliation, Orlando City's affiliation with Louisville City FC has come to an official end, and Orlando City B will come in next year and be the new uh, affiliate team, developmental team for the Lions. And uh, here to sort of give us our, our postmortem on the uh, a fantastic season for Louisville City is our own Jeff Milby up in Louisville. Jeff, how you doing? Doing pretty well. How about you? I have been busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest, but uh, it's, it beats being bored. It sure beats being bored. Uh, tonight's been a crazy night. Went to the uh, Orlando City documentary at the Orlando Film Festival, and then I come home, and I, there's this huge uh, bombshell that uh, 
the pride of working on a deal for Alex Morgan, and so it's it's been busy. Um, but we're here to talk to you, and we want to know about Louisville City. And the first thing I guess I want to ask you: a fantastic season made the made the uh, conference finals this year against uh, you know fell in a very tight contest to the eventual USL champions. I mean, there's really not much more you could have hoped for for year one from Louisville City, is there? No, not at all. Uh, I think anyone around or involved with the team uh, has to be pleased about the way that the season shook out, um, both on and off the field. But, I mean, on the field, it, it, it's been spectacular. They were second in the, in the USL in the regular season, second highest scoring team in USL history behind an Orlando team. Um, Matt Fondy set the single-season scoring record probably should win MVP. Uh, Brian Burke was the league leader in assists. Um, Coach O'Connor's got a, a heck of an argument for Coach of the Year. It was just, it was really a dream scenario. The only way it could have gone any better is if they had gotten a goal or two in Rochester the other night. But mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a bit like asking for two layers of, or two pieces of cake as opposed to one. <laughs> Well, and you mentioned, you know, your two great players there, Matt Fondy and Brian Burke. Um, you know, Burke certainly has aspirations for Major League Soccer. Um, I would imagine that somebody will come around looking for Fondy. Uh, do you think that you guys will stay, remain competitive next season if they move on? Uh, it depends on the, the, other, the striker that didn't play at all this year because of injuries, a guy named Cameron Lancaster. Um, he's English. He made one appearance in the Premier League for Tottenham. Uh, I think he's like 22 or 23. Really talented-looking guy, but again, has you know hasn't played at all and is totally unproven. So if Fondy leaves, uh, he certainly has, uh, like Michael today a little bit, has a lot on his plate uh, <laughs> next season. But uh, outside of that, I, I, I'm not sure that it's a total given that Fondy's going to leave. He is under contract next year with Louisville, but obviously. You're not going to set the scoring record in the league and not have someone sniffing around. So, you know, being reasonable, I think it's reasonable to expect he'll be gone. But uh, it, I think it all depends on who they bring in. There's already a few players that are rumored to, to be gone. Uh, Charlie Adams was a midfielder. He'll probably be out. Kevin Cassette, who they brought in midseason um, as, a, as a left back and, and midfielder, um, is probably going to be gone. Nate Pollock as well, who scored a, a couple big goals against St. Louis and in the U.S. Open Cup. Um, it is looking like he'll be out. So it, it's it's going to be an eventful couple of months um, in terms of creating expectations for next year. But I based on what's ha- what happened in year one, I don't think there's any reason to really doubt uh, how good they could be in year two. Yeah, if there's one thing we've learned from this organization, and you know, obviously Louisville, Louisville City is a a bit of an offshoot of the organization here. If there's anything we learned is that the, the names and faces may change, but the success continues. Um, you know, Orlando City won regular season titles and playoff titles in USL with, you know, pretty different lineups from year to year at times. So um, things will probably be pretty bright there. I want to talk a little bit about the affiliation this year. It probably didn't go as well or as as planned by anybody, um, by anybody's standards. Uh, there were a couple of weeks there where Cindy Rivera was up there, but I wanted to ask you, you know, do you think that the, you know, the lack of Orlando City players contributing in Louisville had more to do with injury and international duty issues 
in Orlando or more to do maybe with Louisville's ambitions and the fact that they got off to such a great start and they had the ambition to to do well and make the playoffs and, and you know, Matt Fondy was doing well and all of those things. If you listen to what uh, Louisville officials say, namely Coach O'Connor and um, Amanda Duffy, the president, they toe the party line and say that um, it was injuries. Like the reason Orlando didn't send any players our way was because they, you know, because of injuries in the international duty, like you said. But I think there's more to it than that, and I, I, I think that the ambitions did play a role, obviously, because when Sydney was here, you know, if it had been a straight, we send you a guy, he needs to play situation, Sydney would have been on the field, and he wasn't for the most part. He only mm-hmm. had one start in the U.S. Open Cup, one league start. Um, so it's a, it's a mixture of both. It's a shade of, of gray like everything else in life. Um, and I, I, don't think, I don't think the affiliation really went the way anybody wanted it to, like even at all. Because mm-hmm. at, 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 for a long stretch in the middle of the season, Louisville only had 18 players um, and and couldn't even really fill out a bench for a couple games uh, in the league because of injuries that Louisville had. And then they, you know, they were because they, they set the roster up expecting to get some Orlando players, I think. And then when that didn't happen, it sort of threw them for a loop and they had to scramble and they had a couple of midseason signings. Aiden Quinn came on late. Kevin Cassette, who I mentioned, came on late. Um, so it, it's 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 both, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was just looking up some stories there, and it said that uh, James O'Connor was only on a one-year contract um, for the team. Do they – I mean, he's had a fantastic season. You said he's up for coach of the year. Do they potentially spend more money on him to make sure he stays the head of this franchise, or do they just go out for players, and if he, if he wants to leave, he leaves? I think, I think he wants to be back, um, and – they they certainly want him to be back because he's literally been in charge of all player personnel decisions. So if he leaves, there's really you know it's just up for grabs on who what players would come back or want to be there or anything like that. Um, I, and I, I don't think honestly it comes down to money. The, the, what I've heard is that uh, it, it's it's about one of the, his big issues. One of O'Connor's big issues is the practice facility, the practice, the training ground they have. Um, they, they they built it on uh, River Road, which is right next to the Ohio River, and it has a tendency to flood, which, as you might expect, <laughs> next to the river does. And he doesn't like that at all, which, you know, you would expect. You don't want to have to all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're expecting to go to practice and then it's flooded one day and you have to scramble and move practice, which they did a few times this year. So I'm not sure what the behind-the-scenes details on how that's going to shake out are, um, but I know it's an issue for him. But I think he wants to come back. I think he has a lot invested in this team. It's his first team. They were successful, but they didn't quite reach the top of the hill. You know, he he's a very motivated guy. He's a hardworking guy. Um, but he would certainly have offers to go other places. I can imagine. So it's it's there are a few factors in whether or not he would come back. But I I think both sides want him to be here. Yeah, there's no lack of uh, offers going to come in for somebody who. In year one, took a brand new franchise as far as he did, I think. Um, before we let you go, Jeff, and I do want to say to our readers at the mainland that uh, Jeff's going to, just because Louisville City is is going away from Orlando City doesn't mean Jeff's going away. Jeff's going to still do our power rankings unless he decides he doesn't want to do them anymore because uh, he does such a great job at them. And I read them and I pretty much laugh every week. Um, at some of them, and, and it's great. So, And I like that Jeff sticks to his guns and says, I don't care that they're not getting results right now. They're still the best team in the league or you know things like that. So 
Uh, I enjoy what you do for us, Jeff, and we're, we're glad to have you. We're going to keep you around. But before we let you go, I want to kind of get your um, highlights and lowlights of the Louisville City season as you saw them. Um, all right, highlights. Uh, beating beating Orlando was a highlight for everyone. Not not to rub it in your all's faces, but <laughs> it was a it, it was a bigger deal than I thought it would be. Like going into the game, we all no one really thought, or at least in our little group in the press box, we didn't think it would be a big deal as as much as it was. Like the fans were really into the game. It was the largest crowd we had all season. Um, and it was, it was really, it was pretty spectacular. Uh, the U S open cup run was exciting. Uh, the win in Indy where it went to extra time, they scored two goals in the last five minutes to win. Sydney Rivera scored. Um, that was, that was exciting. Um, the, the St. Louis games, oddly enough, were, were really good games. There was a three, three draw in, uh, down out in St. Louis. That was really great. Um, and you know, it was sort of a ginned up rivalry. It wasn't, you know, when you're, they're, they're both expansion teams and they had to sort of create some, some, you know, something, but it, it, it turned out to be really good. Um, so all of those games were, were part of the highlights for me. Uh, low lights. Um, I mean, Sydney obviously was a disappointment for everyone. Um, the, the playoffs were a disappointment. I, as, as great as Coach O'Connor was all year, there was I, I was a little skeptical of his lineup choices in the playoffs. Not that I know anything to be skeptical about, but <laughs> he uh, he made he made some choices that were he he played Adam West in the playoffs and he didn't really play much in the regular season. It seemed like a, a, a funny decision to me, but you know you can't be up too upset. They went to the conference final, lost to the best team that had the best uh, had the most points. Had a ridiculous goal differential, gave up the the fewest goals by a significant margin in the league. So you can't be upset that they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the the field was a little scary at times. The the we've talked about it a, a little bit. The astroturf and how it was slick and players mm-hmm. would slide all over the place. So that's got to improve in year two. And that was I, you could say a low light, but uh, the, the highlights I think certainly outweigh the low lights. Uh, Absolutely, and. And you know Matt Fondy, what he was able to accomplish. Uh, yeah, that's that, you know, breaking that, Kevin Molino's Kevin Molino's record was wasn't around a whole lot, you know, but it wasn't a long time. But uh, you know that's still pretty impressive to just you know give smack down that record the way he did. There was it was it was, it was a good race in the USL this year. This year. There were three guys, uh, uh, Danny Koenig, and uh, the third guy's name escapes me. He played in Oklahoma City. I, I can't think of it right now. But they they were neck and neck all year long. Fondy finished with 22. I think one of them finished with 21, and the other one was at 20. And they were just if if the USL were more important in the world, it would have been a much more exciting, you know, or it was an exciting race, and it would have gotten more eyes. But right, uh, right, like a similar race between like Javinko and and Kamara and, and David Villa or something like that would be pretty huge news, I think, across the country. Right. Well, Jeff, we really uh, appreciate you covering uh, Louisville City for us this year. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to tie it to Orlando most of the season uh, other than, you know, some purple uniforms and, um, you know, a handful of folks that a handful of folks that had, had worked uh, for both organizations and, and Coach O'Connor obviously had played in Orlando. But uh, we really appreciate what you've done. Jeff Milby, the mainland correspondent from Louisville, uh, thanks for what you did all season, and we look forward to more of your uh, power rankings as we, uh, as we move forward. Yeah, thanks so much, and um, I'm, I think everyone's definitely looking forward to the first Louisville City versus OCB game next year. Absolutely. It, it'll be interesting to see who wears purple, I guess, whoever's at home. Right, yeah. <laughs> I see you. All right, take care, Jeff. 
Okay, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast to give us a little bit of uh, you know a taste of what we can expect on Sunday is uh, Eugene Rapinski. He's with the Brotherly Game blog, and uh, they're our sister blog on SB Nation. Eugene, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going really well. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can follow you and the Brotherly Game online and on Twitter? Certainly. Uh, online, it's www.brotherlygame.com. On Twitter, it's Brotherly Game, at Brotherly Game, obviously. Uh, Facebook page as well. Uh, for me personally, I'm under uh, Golazo del Gringo on the Twitters. That's one of my favorite handles on Twitter, by the way. Thank you. I really like that. <laughs> and you are single-handedly responsible for me knowing anything about Liga MX. I will have you know that. So um, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, Eugene, I want to start out by asking you what you think we can expect to see Sunday in terms of uh, competition level and, and maybe lineup, considering the fact that uh, Philadelphia's uh, out of the playoffs, and Orlando is a mathematically very, very unlikely to have a run at the playoffs. Sure thing. Well, if last Sunday's any indication, um, Orlando should probably walk all over the Union. Uh, you know, we definitely didn't show up uh, against uh, the Red Bulls in in New Jersey. Uh, what with Mike Grella scoring seven seconds in, and it just kind of got worse from there. Um, you know. I realize neither team has much of anything to play for. Of course, Orlando is still mathematically in the playoffs, and they're probably going to come out guns blazing. Uh, you know, they're going to try and do their uh, part. But, you know, Philadelphia doesn't have much to play for. There's a couple of guys who are angling for jobs for next season. So you'll probably wind up seeing a guy like Fernando Arisieta getting some minutes. Um, but... You know, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of kids on our side. I think you're going to see a lot of kind of second teamers. Um, you know, they're going to put Andrew Winger at, at at right back or left right back again. I, I'm sure. You know, so expect a lot of experimentation uh, from Philadelphia, and probably just you know guys looking to not get hurt and, and end the season on a not horrible note. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess I'm kind of looking towards next season. Um, is Jim Curtin the guy to lead you forward and make you a better team? I believe so. Um, you know, Jim didn't have the best hand dealt to him when he uh, when he officially got the club uh, at the end of last season. This season has certainly not gone the way that anybody had expected. Um, you know, lots of player turnover with, you know, Rice and Bowley in the beginning of the year and the whole goalkeeper go-round we had going on. You have our uh, CEO, uh, Nick Sakevich, being ousted uh, a few weeks back. You know, it's it's been it's been a brutal season. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody here really holds that against Jim. I think that we all realized that this was kind of destined to happen. This was not going to be a good season. And, you know, you can't rebuild a team from one off season. It's just not possible. Uh, Eugene, what do you think of the, the root issue is in Philadelphia at this point? Is it ownership? Is it management? Is it 
uh, talent? Is it a combination of those things? I think it's a combination of everything. Um, I think the franchise over the past six seasons has been mismanaged from the top. You know, I think Zakevich shoulders a lot of the blame um, from, you know, his constant meddling and in, in player acquisitions uh, to, to not really getting the kind of players that the coaches wanted, uh, allowing things to go on for far too long. You know, um, I think it's that. I think it's, you know, the, the players have since day one just kind of been an amalgamation of, of, of who, you know, who was available. And that's really not a good way to build a team. I don't think there was, you know, when you have three head coaches in that span of six years, it's hard to get a, a distinct philosophy and a distinct identity going. And I think that you're really starting to see those things come to roost. Um, and so heading into the final game this season, um, who's been your player for Philadelphia this season and who should we be watching out for um, heading into Sunday's game? Sure. Um, Christian Maidana. Absolutely. You guys need to pay attention to Christian Maidana. Uh, any other team, if he's on it, he is getting, you know, talk maybe not of, of – of MVP. I mean, we all know that, that Giovinco is a lock for that, deservedly so, but I mean, uh, Maidana's uh, tied with him for, for the assist lead, and he plays on Philadelphia. He doesn't have, <laughs> he doesn't have a Josie Altador or, or the, the, the setup that, that Toronto has. He's here. He has this team, uh, and he still managed to, you know, be tied for the, the league lead and assist going into the last season. And I think that's, absolutely commendable i think it's a testament to his skill um and i would definitely definitely keep an eye on him yeah the he's had a great season and and actually there's you know there's some talent there in in philadelphia and it's i i think that the team played very very well uh when they came down to the citrus bowl for that matchup earlier just, just a few weeks ago really and that was a game that orlando city really needed and had they gotten you know all three points in that match, then we would have a very different outlook going into this final uh, weekend to the season. Sure. Uh, what was it about Philadelphia that allowed them to do something that they really haven't done very often, and that's uh, shut out a team on the road? That's a, that's a really good question. You know, I think I think on paper the Union aren't that bad of a team. You know, if you, if you just take a look at the roster, on paper – they weren't that bad, but when you put everything together, it never seemed to materialize. It never seemed to click, you know, um, mm -hmm. with guys constantly going in and out of goal, uh, you know, with, with guys coming, coming and going at center back, you know, ex experiments on, on the wings. Um, you know, it, it's very hard to, to gain any sort of consistency with that sort of turnover. And I think, against Orlando, it was one of those games like uh, when we played San Jose, everything just kind of fell into place. You know, Orlando was certainly a much better, uh, you know, much well more well-rounded team and should have beaten uh, the Union. But for whatever reason, everything just kind of came together and the Union were able to, uh, to get that, that point. 
Um, and so I, we, you know what we need to score to kind of mathematically stay in it. Um, what do you think your what's your score prediction for Sunday? You need eight. <laughs> we need a combination of eight between this game and the NYC game. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a fairly high-scoring game. Um, you know, three-one. 4-1, um, you know, anything of that nature is certainly possible. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I don't think you guys are going to get eight or nine. <laughs> oh, come on, <laughs> please. Hey, um, hey, anything's possible. I mean, <laughs> if you guys saw what we, we had to sit through uh, 90 minutes of last week, yeah, eight or nine isn't impossible. It's just not very probable. Mm, yeah. One of the things I love about your park is that that uh, great view of the bridge overhanging the stadium. Um, that's one of the things. It's one of the when I look through the picture MLS pictures like on on SB Nation, I I always look for for the park and I I always check those out because that's really cool. Sure. And uh, the Lions are going to be up there on Sunday, and it's a day game. And um, you know, I, I wonder, you know, Eugene, what you think the key matchup of that game is going to be, you know, what's going to be the determining factor for who wins and loses? I think it's going to be the, uh, the Philadelphia center backs, um, whomever they, they may be, uh, uh, trying to contain Kaká. You know, I mean, when, when you think of Orlando city, uh, maybe not you guys, but when anybody else in the league thinks of Orlando city, we automatically default to Kaká. And I think it's going to be the job of, you know, our, our center backs and our defensive midfield to, to kind of shut him down, uh, to, to not allow him to have a whole lot of time on the ball and not allow him to have a whole bunch of options, you know. So uh, a problem with that is we're not exactly sure who's going to be starting at center back. Um, you know, it had been a tandem of Richie Marquez, who is a second-year guy he spent last year, with our USL affiliate in Harrisburg, um, he was paired up with Stephen Vittoria, uh, who was on loan from Benfica. Uh, Vittoria was awful. Uh, he was pulled at halftime, and it was reported by uh, Jonathan Tannenwald that he uh, left the uh, the the meeting before uh, the you know the end of game meeting before Curtin was even done speaking with his headphones on. So I would assume that you know. He's probably not going to play. Um, he's also probably not ever going to play here again. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I would I would guess that Ethan White is going to be our our center back uh, back there. White had a couple of good games in the beginning of the season. Um, he then proceeded to have a few really bad games. So, who knows? Maybe maybe the time on the bench has, uh, you know allowed him to, to kind of work on some stuff and uh, get some focus, you know, and if, and if he and Marquez can can do a decent job teaming up with uh, either Mike LaHood or Brian Carroll or whoever's uh, playing a defensive midfield role and, and make things difficult for, for Kaká, I think that, you know, Philadelphia might stand a chance. <laughs> okay. Well, that's um, we'll keep an eye on that matchup for sure. Obviously, uh, Kaká is definitely the, the focal point for uh, teams. And, and I think a, a strength of this team is that over this last five-game winning streak, they've learned to play without Kaká a little bit. And that could could make this team dangerous. Maybe not 
I mean, if they sneak into the playoffs, maybe, but I mean, probably ne- going into next year, having that confidence to know that guys like uh, Adrian Venter and Breck Shea and uh, Carlos Rivas and guys like that have, have really taken up the mantle when the captain's uh, been sidelined and, and has they've learned to, to have some confidence and play without him. Uh, so that'll be um, it'll be interesting to watch how he's integrated back in after uh, his yellow card suspension. But Eugene Rapinski, the brotherly game, thanks so much for being our guest on the podcast, and, and I want to personally uh, congratulate you on your uh, your recent wedding. Thank you very much. Uh, was uh, was a, was a fun time. Um, my wife actually agreed to go up to uh, to Toronto for a honeymoon, and we wound up uh, at the the game at BMO Field uh, for the Union <laughs> and, and Toronto FC. So it was a uh, was a good time, um, you know. But thank you, thank you very much. Sounds good. All right, friend of the blog, friend of the mainland, Eugene Rapitsky of the Brotherly Game. Uh, we hope to talk to you down the road. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Thanks. Right, you too. All right, Andrew, so that just about wraps up uh, episode 34. I did check. It was episode 34 of the Mainland Podcast, and uh, we want to give our thanks to Jeff Milby, our Louisville City correspondent in Louisville, Kentucky. Appreciate him coming on and and giving us a a season wrap-up view of our ex-USL affiliates. Now it would be OCB moving forward out there in Melbourne. Uh, And I want to thank uh, Eugene Rapinski from the Brotherly Game, giving us the Philadelphia Union perspective so why don't we turn our attention to the Union, Andrew? Sunday, everybody plays at the same time, basically, to uh, avoid shenanigans, uh, as they do in, in other leagues across the, the world. So we'll have to like watch the scoreboard as we watch Orlando City, so we'll know what New England and, and New York City are doing. Uh, but what do you think are the, is the key matchup uh, with the Orlando City-Philadelphia Union game, and, and what's your score prediction? Um I was going to kind of cover uh, Maidana, but I think uh, our guest really went into what a linchpin he is for Philadelphia. So he's definitely my player that we're going to have to watch out for. Um, My other player is going to be Barnetta for Philadelphia. Um, He's been playing, he's having a good end of the season. Um, He looks like somebody who's probably playing for his job this year, you know, to stay with with a a contract. Um, But he's been playing really well. I think that if, you concentrate too much on Maidana, Bonetta could make us pay. So I'm going to say that it's definitely probably going to be a matchup between Higita and Saran, keeping them both out of the game and keeping them quiet, but not concentrating too much on Maidana, who's trying to get that assist record away from uh, Giovinco. So I'm going to say it's going to be a big central midfield battle um, to keep people quiet, because of course you've still got Latou and Sapong mm-hmm. and Aristogeta who's trying to score on us, um, and we need a big fat zero to keep us in the hunt. Absolutely. Uh, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit on the uh, Higita Saren thing, so I'm going to change up and say that uh, I think the, the matchup to me that intrigues me most is going to be Orlando City's wide players against the Philadelphia fullbacks. So, like, if it's Breck Shea, if it's Carlos Rivas, if it's Adrian Venter. Those guys have been providing outstanding service into the box and, and been helping Kyle Laren go on a, an absolute goal terror uh, <laughs> spree, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Laren's been really good because he's getting the ball. And I think it, that if that's going to continue, it's going to be from those wide players getting up and getting crosses into the box and getting you know good service into the striker. So I, I think... You know they're going to probably spend a lot of attention on Kaká in the middle, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and uh, and Kaká does sometimes, you know, wander out to the sides as well. So uh, it's going to be a matter of if Kaká can draw enough attention, it's, it's going to really come down to the fullbacks against our wide players. And um, uh, I, I just it's there's no way I can predict a four nil or a five nil like Phil Rollins did. Uh, I, I think Eugene came pretty close with the three one uh, because here's the thing. The other part of it is keeping them off the board. And Tally Hall got hurt in the last game. We didn't talk about that. Yeah. But ta- Tally Hall's out for the season with a, a torn meniscus. Thankfully, it wasn't his ACL again. Um, so we got a little bit of a break there. But a, a fluke injury. He was It was non-contact. He was coming off his line to, to get a ball over the top that he didn't even need to get because Villa was offside. So it was just everything was terrible and nothing will ever be good again. Um, <laughs> but um, Tally's out. So... Josh Ford will make his first MLS start and we'll have a pool goalkeeper as the backup. So I'm not feeling particularly confident about the goalkeeping. So as much as I want to say that it's going to be, you know, this big lopsided blowout, I I think optimistically, this is a very optimistic uh, score prediction. I'm sorry. I'm taking this long. Uh, I'm going to say four to four to two Orlando city. I think we just, we get the goals we need, but we just can't keep out the goals we need to. Yeah, I mean, I think we're asking a lot for... I think Ford was drafted in 2011, and this is his first MLS appearance. Um, I think it's going to be really hard. I'm actually going to say that we don't get the goals that we need. We don't get four. I actually think it's going to be a high-scoring 2-2 draw um, to really just kind of cancel it out. Um, We're going to nick one early, but... We just don't have enough. We ju- we don't know what Josh Ford's positioning is like. We don't know enough about him to say that he's going to get that zero that we need. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. Um, Laren bags another one to take himself to 18. And then I am going to go out on a limb and say Rivas bags his first goal of the season. Man, can you believe we're going... <laughs> We're going into our last game of the season, and Rivas and Shea both on zero. Yeah, I know. That's and and <laughs> that just is amazing to me. Eric Avila has a goal, guys. Eric Avila, <laughs> but not Breck Shea and not Carlos Rivas. Yep. Uh, Adrian Vinter has been with the team like two weeks. He's got two goals. So yep. <laughs> uh, actually, it's been about a month. But uh, so okay, thank you. We'll, we'll probably both be incredibly wrong on our predictions, but that's okay. Um, I think we all predicted 2-1 to Orlando City last week, and we were all right. I think if, if we look back, we could go back to the tape and find out. But I'm, I know I predicted 2-1 Orlando City. I think you did also, and I'm, I'm sure our guest did, uh, Rafa did, uh, from Hudson River Blue. And they've got their own issues now that there's this rumor that Jason Christ is going to be let go, and they're going to bring in Patrick Vera for, uh, uh, to groom him to maybe someday be Manchester City's manager and this whole thing is just screams farm team farm team uh so it's a bad time for us for that to come out because that could be a distraction too in new york city and we don't need them to be distracted right now we need them to be very focused on scoring nine goals against new england on uh sunday well and i just i mean i think christ is the best person for this league i mean what's Vieira gonna do differently i mean he's they've already spent most of the money they, they can spend. They mm-hmm. really, they're going to bring in some guy who doesn't know the league, so then they're just 
going to import a bunch more guys who haven't really panned out for them anyway. Um, it seems stupid to just turf a new turf a seasoned MLS coach who probably could go elsewhere if he's not meddled with in the same way win an MLS Cup for a team right. that goes. You know, the Rapids probably could do with somebody, even though Mastrioni's probably staying. The Fire could certainly do with somebody. I mean. Mm-hmm. It seems stupid to let to break it now when they've stayed tried to stay competitive. Yeah, and I mean if Jason Christ went to Chicago, Chicago might end up with a better record than New York City next year. So oh, yeah. um Christ is a good manager. He's he, he's proven time and time again that he knows what he's doing. For him to have gotten as much as he did this year out of guys that in in from what we're hearing he didn't want mm-hmm. many of them. Um, you know, it says a lot. And, you know, I'm sure he'll be he'll do just fine. He's not going to be out of a job long if New York doesn't want him. So, nope. uh, but anyway, uh, we are forced to root for you know the the other expansion team on Sunday, and we're obviously going to be rooting for our our lads in purple. Uh, you can check us out online, themainland.com, t h e m a n e l a n d, like a lion's mane, not like Main Street, uh, and at the mainland on Twitter. And uh, so Andrew will come back next week and we're either going to be talking about the end of the season as we wrap up uh, the Philadelphia Union match or we're going to be a very small chance, but we might be like, oh, my God, we're, we're about to go in MLS playoffs. playoffs. That's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so it's exciting. The not knowing is the exciting part. Um, but I think anybody would have taken it at, at game one if you said we're going into the final game of the season with a chance to make the playoffs. I think anybody with an Orlando City badge on them would take it. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would have asked, what are those chances? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, right. we would have taken something at this point. Absolutely. So for an expansion team to still have a chance on the last match day is phenomenal. And if not for if not for Didier Drogba, we would probably already have clinched. Yeah. If, if, if Montreal didn't go out and make that deal, we're probably about four or five points ahead of them right now. So, um, but it is what it is. And uh, I think this team's well positioned, especially if they can get that sixth win in a row going to next year on a, on a real super high. And uh, the, the players on this team, many of them had never played this league before and they've got their, they've got their bearings. Now Breck Shea has kind of gotten his groove back since coming back to MLS. He sort of started a little bit slowly. I know it was a position change, but uh, I do think that his swagger is back, and he's really played a lot better since coming back from his injury. And uh, you know, we'll see what uh, what lies ahead, and uh, we'll 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 go do it on Sunday. And I'll be at the U.S. Women's National Team game, and then uh, hopefully we'll be able to watch the game in the press box while we're while we're wrapping up there. So uh, lots of soccer going on this weekend uh, for the city of Orlando. So, uh, Andrew Harrison, on your behalf, I will uh, sign off episode 34 of the Mainland Podcast by saying once again, Go City!